In this episode of the Living for Truth podcast, we are resuming our personal reading of Christianity through the centuries by Earl E. Carnes, A History of the Christian Church. Uh, I've been reading this book um, per requirements for a course that I'm taking through the Master's University. The course is titled Church History. And these requirements for this reading um, have asked us to skip chapters 34 and chapter 35 and resume our reading in chapter 36. And I just briefly want to mention what those chapters are um, because for the foreseeable future, I do not think that I'm going to come back and read these chapters because for the most part, I think most of the information that is contained therein has been in one way, shape, or form already alluded to um, in various ways. Not to say that the information that is significantly recorded in these chapters is of little importance to us. I think that um, the Christian can glean much from these two chapters, and I want to give you the titles of them. Chapter 34 is The Roman Catholic Victories and Vicissitudes. Um, so I, I think also we don't necessarily need to dive into that at this point. Um, and the, chapter 35 is Religion and Reform in Great Britain and Europe. Now, chapter 35 contains great marks like uh, Charles Spurgeon and his conversion and his ministry in London. Um, again, if you would like to go back and read these chapters, I encourage you to get the book and, and read those things. I do not think that we're going to go back and read them for the sake of our study and our reading. And we pick up this reading now in chapter 36 foes of the faith. This era is titled Revivalism, Missions, and Modernism from 1789 to 1914. Chapter 36. During the 19th century, several influential movements appeared that threatened the faith that the church has endeavored to maintain throughout the ages. Biblical criticism grew out of the individualistic and humanistic climate that was produced by the Renaissance. This development was reinforced by both the rationalism and the individualism of the 18th century and by the historic outlook of the Romantic movement and German idealistic philosophy. The preoccupation with material goods engendered and promoted by the higher standard of living made possible by the Industrial Revolution also helped to turn the minds of all classes of people from the absolute authority of the Bible as a standard for faith and life. The biological dogma of evolution when applied to the Bible, by analogy, made Christianity nothing more than the product of a system of religious evolution. The denial of the authority of the Bible was a logical outcome of this point of view. Roman numeral 1. Criticism of the Bible. People have usually followed one of three pro approaches to the Bible. Pietists have approached it from an experiential viewpoint in which the application of truth to daily life is the criterion. Others have approached it as a source book of doctrine. Still others have adopted a historical approach, which results in the conception of the Bible as an ethical guidebook only. This latter approach became the fashion in the 19th century because of the influence of German idealistic philosophy. When the historico-critical approach was combined with the application of the theory of evolution to religious phenomena, the background for a system of biblical criticism was completed. Discussion between one 
who accepts the critical approach to the Bible and one who is a believer in the inspiration and the integrity of the Bible is difficult because each has a different set of basic ideas. The radical critical of the radical critic of the Bible assumes that the Bible is merely a human book to be judged by the canons of historical and literal criticism just as any other literary work would be that there is an evolution there is an evolution of of religion and that natural explanations of biblical phenomena should replace supernatural explanations. Such individuals look on the Bible as a book written by human authors. They ignore the function of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the writers of Scripture. Heading A. The the Philosophic and Theological Background of Biblical Criticism The idealistic philosophy of Immanuel Kant, when combined with the views of Schleiermacher, Hegel, and Rischel, created a philosophic background favorable to a critical approach of the Bible or to the Bible. Kant accepted Locke's emphasis on sensation and Descartes' stress on reason as the keys to knowledge concerning the phenomena of nature, but he argued in his Critique of Pure Reason in 1781 that man cannot know God or the soul, both of which he classed as data of the world, of, quote, nomina, end quote, by the senses or reason or reason his pietistic background led him to assertion to the assertion that the sense of moral obligation or conscience in man which he called the quote, categorical imperative end quote, should be the starting point of re- for religion because man has a moral sense kant argued in his critique of practical reason in 1788 there is a god who has provided that sense the postulates of the soul and immortal life become essential. If those who obey the dictates of conscience are to be rewarded because of because often the good receive no temporal reward in this life. Because Kant denied that man can know the world of nomina, there is no place in his system for historical and objective revelation of God in the Bible. To him it is only a man-made book of history to be subjected to historical criticism, just as any other book. There is no place for Christ, the God-man, in Kant's system. Man, with his free will and his his imminent sense of what is right, becomes the creator of a religion in which he develops the morality inherent in himself. There is a logical line of continuity between Kantanian idealism and modern liberalism, with its insistence on the, quote, spark of the divine, end quote, within each of us which liberals insist we need only to cultivate to achieve good moral conduct and eventual immortality. In this fashion, Kant helped to provide a philosophical framework for both biblical criticism and modern liberal theology. Unlike Kant, who found the starting point for religion in man's moral nature, Frederick D. Schleiermacher made feelings, or the emotions, the element out of which religious experience develops. Schleiermacher was trained in the Moravian school and owed the subjective nature of his philosophy to them and to Romanticism. In his book, The Christian Faith, circa 1821, religion is presented not as a set of beliefs and obligations based on the authority of the church, but as the result of man's feelings of absolute dependence on, in a majestic universe in which he is but a small entity. Christianity best brings man into harmony with God as man passively realizes his dependence on God. Religion, thus, becomes a mere subjective apprehension of Christ, 
who serves as the mediator to reconcile man to the absolute who is imminent in the universe. Thus, man is freed from dependence on a historical revelation of the will of God and needs only to cultivate the free the feeling of dependence on God in Christ to enjoy a satisfactory religious experience. Because of his view that the essence of religion is subjective, Schleiermacher is often referred to as the father of modern theology. George W. F. Hegel, 1770-1831, also had a marked influence on both theology and the critical approach to the Bible. God was the absolute who was seeking to manifest himself in his history by a logical process of reconciliation of contradictions, which Hegel called thesis and antithesis. The synthesis, the synthesis or reconciliation, created a new pair of contradictions that were again merged in a new reconciliation or synthesis. Hegel thus held to philosophical evolution as the way in which the absolute was manifested. His dialectic or logic was taken over by Marx, and his emphasis on the state as a manifestation of the absolute was borrowed by Hitler and Mussolini in order to glorify both the state and the dictator who headed it. Albrecht Rischel is influenced by Schleiermacher's acceptance of religion, religious feelings as the foundation of religion. But he insisted that religion was the social cons- consciousness of dependence, The historical Christ of the Gospels brought the practical revelation of sin and salvation to the individual in the kingdom by faith. The Bible is simply the record of community consciousness, and it should, therefore, be subjected to historical investigation in the same manner as any other book. Thus, Rishal, as well as as the others, other philosophers, made religion subjective and opened the way for extreme critical study of the Bible. He also promoted the social approach of love to religious problems. Heading B. Biblical Criticism. Rationalism of the Enlightenment and idealistic philosophy of Romantic era were thus the parents of a criticism that tries to destroy the supernatural nature of the Bible as a revelation, and that makes the Bible the record of the subjective evolution of religion and human consciousness. Opposition to such destructive criticism should not lead the the reverend student of the Bible to reject all biblical criticism. Higher or historical and literary criticism, or as it is also sometimes called, introduction, which has come to be associated with the above destructive views, is simply the careful study of the historical background of each book of the Bible, and lower or textual criticism is the study of the text of the Bible in an attempt to ascertain whether the text that we have is one that came from the hands of the writers. Lower criticism has resulted in the granting to the text of the Bible a high degree of accuracy, so that we can be sure that we have the writings of the original authors of the Bible. Thus, no doctrine or ethical teaching of Scripture can be called into question by the most radical critic. It has been radical higher criticism rather than lower criticism that has destroyed the faith of many persons in the divine revelation in the Bible. The popularization of higher criticism has been associated with the enlightening the, the 18th century French doctor by the name of Jean or Jean Astruc, who in 1753 divided the book of Genesis into two parts. He assumed the use of two documents as sources because he found the name Elohim, God, 
used in some places, and Jehovah, Lord, in others. Johann G. Eckhorn, who laid down the dictum that the Bible was to be read as a human book and tested by human means, gave such studies the name of higher criticism. Eckhorn noticed other literary characteristics, besides the use of the names for God, that led him to believe that not only Genesis, but also the entire Hexateuch, Genesis to Joshua, has, was made up of composite documents. Hupfield, in 1853, was the first to claim that the Pentateuch was the work of at least two different authors, rather than a narrative composed from many sources by Moses. Carl H. Graff and Julius Wellhausen developed an elaborate system known as the Graff-Wellhausen Theory, that has been adopted by higher critics. According to this theory, the sections in which the name Jehovah is used constitute the earliest document, another part by another author known as E, like the letter E, still another in Deuteronomy as D and P. In this fashion, the unity of the Pentateuch and its Mosaic authorship are denied. Later critics divided Isaiah into, two, into at least two main parts or two parts and advanced the date of Daniel to the Maccabean period so that it became history rather than prophecy and history. The development of doctrine in the Bible was explained along evolutionary lines. Critics emphasized the development of the idea of God from prim primitive storm god, lowercase g, of Mount Sinai, to the ethical monotheistic god, capital G, of the prophets, and work the work of biblical archaeologists has forced many critics to abandon their former radical positions and has tended to confirm conservative views of the Bible. Amen. The beginning of higher criticism of the New Testament is usually associated with the name of Hermanus Remerus, who taught Oriental languages at Hamburg. In his Fragments, 1778, he denied the possibility of biblical miracles and advanced the idea that the writers of the New Testament with their stories of miracles were pious frauds. Gotthold Lessing, who published Remerus' Fragments, argued that Scripture served man as a guide during a primitive phase of his religious development, but the, re the reason and duty were sufficient guides in the more advanced state of religion. Ferdinand C. Bauer 1792-1860, argued in 1831 that in the early church there had been a Judaism that emphasized the law and the Messiah. This earlier approach can be observed in the writings of Peter. Paul developed the, an antithesis in such books as Romans and Galatians, in which the emphasis was on grace rather than law, on law. The old Catholic church of the second century presented a synthesis of Petrine, or Pauline and Pauline views. This synthesis is revealed in such books as the Gospel of Luke and the Pastoral Epistles. Bauer then proceeded to date the books of the New Testament in his framework as early or late according to the manner in which they reflected Petrine or Pauline or Johannine tendencies. Thus, historical data gave way to subjective philosophical presupposition in ascertaining the chronology of the books of the New Testament. In the 20th century, New Testament criticism has successfully focused on three different but interdependent approaches to the Gospels. Source criticism has concerned 
was concerned with the order of writing of the Synoptic Gospels, Synoptic Gospels being Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the extent to which one was dependent on another or on even earlier sources. In the 1920s and 1930s, form criticism arose in investigating evidences in the Gospels for the forms in which the Gospel was orally passed on in the earlier years before written Gospels. This approach claimed that the Gospels contain truth about Christ that can be found only after one peels off the layers of tradition and form in which the truth is hidden. Most recently, redaction criticism has taken center stage. It proposed to analyze the manner and significance of the subtle changes the Gospel writers allegedly introduced into their accounts of Christ's life and work. Some theologians who adopt critical views of the New Testament consider that the essence of the gospel is in the ethical teachings of Jesus and that Paul changed the simple ethical religion of Jesus into a redemptive religion. Destructive high criticism has led many to deny the inspiration of the Bible as a revelation from God through man inspired by the Holy Spirit and to minimize or to deny the deity of Christ and his saving work on the cross of Calvary. The Life of Jesus by David F. Strauss combined all these views, Strauss denied both the miracles and the integrity of the New Testament, as well as the deity of Christ, whom he saw as a man who thought he was the Messiah. Germany, once the home of the Reformation, became the land in which criticism developed. From here it spread to the British Isles and to North America through students who studied it in Germany. The history of Hitler's Germany well illustrates the lengths to which people will go when they deny God's revelation in the Bible, and when they replace revelation with reason and science as the authority for thought and action. Roman numeral 2. Materialism. Another movement or viewpoint that threatened the faith during the 19th century and still threatens it today is materialism. More subtle perhaps than higher criticism, materialism may be defined as the practice in modern society of emphasizing the material values of a high standard of living. To the extent that man's attention is, con- is concentrated on, his, on this life, he will neglect the spiritual values of eternal life, the abundance of goods, which has made a high living standard possible, is an outcome of the Industrial Revolution and occurred first in England between 1760 and 1830. Machine power was substituted for hand power as the great amounts of goods could be produced cheaply. Nowhere has this emphasis on a high material standard of living been as as great as in America. Both Walter Rauschenbosch, the founder of the social gospel in America, and Karl Marx, emphasized in their systems what they thought was the primary importance of material goods in life. Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, which emphasized free enterprise with competition and a free market, also stimulated the tendency to give attention to material goods. Those who lay such stress on the distribution of material goods forget that, quote, man does not live by bread alone, end quote. Roman numeral three, creationism versus evolution. If philosophical, literary, literary, let me back up and start that again. If philosophical, literary, and historical criticism of the Bible destroyed faith in it as a revelation from God, and if the materialism induced by the Industrial Revolution created an indifference to a future life, 
The views of Charles R. Darwin and his successors created the idea that there was no such thing as sin, or that sin was merely the remnant of an animalistic instinct in man. Evolution as a philosophical doctrine goes back to the time of Aristotle, but Darwin was the first to put it on what seemed to be a scientific basis. Darwin spent some time in studying medicine and theology before he developed his inclinations to become a naturalist. A voyage around the world on the Beagle between 1831 and 1836 convinced him that differences between living animals and fossils on the mainlands and those on the islands that he visited could be accounted for only by biological evolution. He published his book, The Origin of Species, and by the way, that is not the extent of the title, in 1859, after finding that Alfred Wallace had independently arrived at similar conclusions. In his book, Darwin argued that the struggle for existence kept the population of the various species constant in spite of the fact that rep reproduction is geomet geometric and that many more are produced than are essential for the survival of the species. In this struggle, some individuals develop characteristics favorable to survival through a period of adjustment or adaptation to environment. These characteristics are passed on by sexual selection in which the favored males and females mate. Thus, many of the fittest survive. He thought that such a similarity as that of the body structure of man and animals substantiated his theory. But he forgot that this and other similarities might be evidence of design on the part of a creator, the creator, who gave his creatures similar body structures because of the similarity of their environment. Darwin applied because Darwin applied his theory to man in The Descent of Man, 1871, and argued that mankind is linked with animal life by common ancestral types. Darwin's idea of continuity between man and animal has been summarized as, quote, descent with change, end quote, or continuity. This view is opposed to the biblical concept of special creation by God, or discontinuity, with fixity, in the groups thus created. In emphasizing similarities between man and animals, Darwin ignored the uniqueness of man's larger brain, his power of speech, his memory, his conscience, his concept of God, and his soul. He admitted that the last three items were problems for his theory. No missing link that would conclusively identify man with animals has been discovered. In fact, crossbreeding between many groups is impossible. The use of the Hebrew word bara for the act of creation is used only of the heavens and the earth, mammals and man. God is said to have made each of the different groups reproduce, quote, according to its kind, end quote. Although the theory of evolution denied the direct creation of man by God, the greatest damage came from the application of the theory to the development of religion. God and the Bible were looked upon as the evolutionary products of man's religious consciousness, and the books of the Bible were dated accordingly. The biblical eschatology in which perfection would come into this world only by the direct of intervention of God through the return of Christ was replaced by the evolutionary view of a world that was being increasingly improved by human effort. Because man was not guilty through original sin, there was no need of Christ as Savior. Tennyson gave poetic expression to evolution in his autobiographical poem, 
in memoriam. Evolution was also in memoriam, excuse me. Evolution was also used to justify the idea of race superiority because that idea seemed to fit in with Darwin's concept of the survival of the fittest. It was also been it has also been used to justify having no absolute foundation for norm of ethics. Good conduct is merely those actions deemed suitable by each generation for the proper conduct of society. The doctrine of evolution has also been used to glorify war as the survival of the fittest. All these conclusions have been reached by the application of a biological theory to other fields through an unwarranted use of the argument from analogy. Roman numeral four, communism. The church has also faced the enmity of communism in the 20th century. This movement had its roots in the materialistic philosophy of Karl Marx. From Adam Smith, Marx borrowed his idea that only labor creates value, from Hegel, his his method, and from the utopian socialists, his utopian goal. He and Frederick Engels developed the majority or the major outlines of his view in the pamphlet The Communist Manifesto, 1848. Marx had been attracted to the philosophy of Hegel, but he substituted materialism for Hegel's absolute being. Reality, he maintained, was only matter in motion. On this foundation, he built the idea that all the religions, or all the religious, social, and political institutions of society are determined by the way people make a living. Class struggles takes place because the capitalist takes the surplus value or profits. Marx argued that the profits belong to labor, because he believed it is only labor that can create value. Marx created the progress of this struggle by the application of Hegel's logic. Capitalism generated its antithesis, the proliterat, or the proletariat, which would destroy it and set up a classless society after a temporary dictatorship of the proliterate or workers. Lenin provided a set of aggressive tactics by which the system could be worked out. He emphasized the idea that a devoted, disciplined, small party of communists could infiltrate democratic organizations such as labor unions and government and use a time of crisis or war to seize power. Stalin successfully combined this program and technique in the Russian state. Marx and his followers believed that, quote, man shall live by bread alone, end quote, they ignore human sin, which will always upset their ideal more, their ideal order, unless they resort to brutal regimentation. They also oversimplify human problems. There is no place for God, the Bible, or absolute standards in their system. They insist that, quote, religion is the opiate of the people, end quote. While the emphasis on the importance of economic factor has been an aid to the historian, recent history reveals the fundamental hostility of Marxism to all forms of religion. While the continuance of the Christian religion is not dependent on any particular political or economic system, it must be recognized that socialism, as practiced by the communists, finds it difficult finds it difficult to come to terms with the church. Christian socialism developed in England and Scandinavian and Scandinavia. Such thinkers favored a milder form of socialism that called for cooperative schools for laborers and labor unions rather than control of capital by the state. 
criticism of the Bible, Darwin's theory of evolution, and other social and intellectual forces created religious liberalism in the late 19th century. Liberal theologians have applied evolution to religion as a key that might explain its development. They have insisted on the continuity of man's religious, religious experience to such an extent that the Christian religion has become the mere product of a religious evolution rather than a revelation from God through the Bible and Christ. Christian experience has been emphasized much more than theology. Conservative Christianity has fought, and the movement associated with the name Karl Barth has opposed various forms of liberalism and socialism.